with you, go ahead and grab it. And turn with me to uh, James chapter 5. Uh, we're in the last chapter here today, closing out our, our journey uh, through this letter of James, continuing really to just seek the will, if we can just put it this way, to seek the will of God uh, for us as his people. And we seek that in his word uh, to us. And <clears throat> so what we're going to do today, is we're just going to jump in. So if you're willing and able, uh, let's set our hearts to hear what the Lord uh, would say to us this morning, would you stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord to us as his people? This is James chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up there in verse 13. <clears throat> is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. That's the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us. And we thank you for the privilege that we have of being together and, and hearing and, and sharing in this life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as a father to your children today. Would you, would you speak to us so that we might hear you? Would you, would you, be, would you be present in such, a, in such a real way that we might see you? And would you, would you awaken our souls this morning that we might receive you? And, and so, Lord, do that. We, we need you to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This past week marked a, uh, a major turning point for our family. Uh, football, football season, at least, at, at least the football season that, that we're actually involved in has, has come to an end. And uh, it would be hard to overstate uh, how, just how much that simple reality, just that one thing, uh, changed so many of what had become the ordinary rhythms and patterns for us uh, as a family. And, and, it, and it truly happened in the blink of an eye. If, you're, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I had the privilege of uh, being a, a part of the coaching staff at Irmo High School for this past season. And last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, we, we, we lost our playoff game there on a last-second field goal right as time expired. And so just in an instant... Uh, it, it just happened. There's this like crazy finality to it that I hadn't. It's been a long time since I'd experienced that like rush of emotions that comes with that. Um, so now there's no more practice. There's no more uh, film sessions. No more, no more games to get up for. It all just ends, just just like just like that. And so what that meant for the Williams family is that we had some time uh, that we weren't used to having. And and Tuck, our our Tucker's been under the weather. Uh, this week, and so we made the jump. Here's what happened. Here, here's the here's the turning point for us. We made the jump this week into 
uh, Christmas movies. That's what's what's happened in our home, uh, and it still like it still feels a little early uh, to me. But I'm in, I'm embracing it, running running with it, and 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 every family has their favorites, right? So so we we've got we've got home we've got Home Alone, and we've got Daddy's Home Two. Daddy's Home Two, a very underrated uh, Christmas movie. Um, uh, we, we've got those kind of just rolling all the time. Elf has already made an appearance in our house, so we're, we're, we're rocking with Elf. Now, Fred Claus and Arthur Christmas have become a couple staples of our rotation, and there are tons, right? There are tons of these movies, and I know everybody's got them, and they're all coming, and, and that's not even talking about Hallmark, because I'm not about that life, okay? Um, don't, don't, don't listen to what my wife tells you. She'll tell you I'll watch them, but that's just because she's watching them, and I like being around her. Um, no, they're pretty good. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, the the one that we'll get, we will watch this over and over again. I bet we're not the only ones in this room, and and, um, and we'll watch this more times than I want to admit. And we've already we've already done it. We'll watch uh, a Christmas Vacation, right? Uh, Chevy Chase, Christmas Vacation, and there's this scene in there. We we watched this. Was it Friday night? I think we watched Friday night. There's this scene in there, and if you haven't if you haven't seen it, honestly, that's on you at this point. Okay, you got to own that. It's been out since like the '80s, so you got to deal with that. Uh, but towards the end, everything, everything, everything is going wrong, right? Everything. The, the turkey has exploded. That's kind of gross. Uh, the dog has gotten into all the trash. The tree has literally combusted and burned down. The squirrel has run all over the place. Everything is a mess. Um, Aunt Bethany's still happy as can be, though. Anyway, everyone is out of sorts at this point, and... Um, and they start to leave. In-laws, their in-laws are the first ones to try and leave. They got their bags. Uh, father-in-law's been trying to get out of there since he first arrived anyway. Anyway, and, and here's what Clark says. You may remember this. So, so Clark comes in. They've got their bags there. And he goes, oh, no. We're all in this together. As we come to the end of this letter, as we come to the end of this series in the letter of James, uh, he's had some difficult things to say. I mean, that's the reality. If you've been with us for the last couple of months, man, James has, has, has kind of gone in on us in some real way. Somebody told me this week that James has been an equal opportunity offender. I thought that was a good way of saying it. He's just stepped on everybody's toes. He's, he's touched on spiritual apathy, um, which I think is rampant in our day. We just don't care that much about the things of God. Uh, he's, he's talked about our general lack of intentionality with our spiritual discipline. So are we actually creatures of the word? Do we actually pray? And he, and he didn't shy away from our tendency to be hearers of the word rather than doers of the word. He hit our natural drift towards partiality. Do we favor certain people over others? He he. he touched on our lack of love for our neighbor. He challenged us on everything from how we speak to our affections for the temporal things of the world and the pride that convinces us that still, even though we, we know this not to be true, the pride that still convinces us that we are actually in control. So, so, much, so much like the Griswolds, we're all in this together. Everybody's had the opportunity to have their toes stepped on. As he closes it out, not, not as a stranger, we've got to remember this, he's not closing this out as a stranger, and, and this is critical He's closing, he's closing out this letter as our brother. And you can kind of sense his urgency for his people. And what he's doing is he's, is he's keeping the reality of faith. Faith is confident expectation. He's keeping the idea of faith, that whole idea of trust. He's keeping that at the forefront. Uh, not, just, uh, not just of some spiritual plane of our existence, right? 
but right here in the ordinary of what you and I would just call life. That's where he's meeting us. And, and there are three angles through which we're going we're gonna to look at this passage as we close this out today. We're looking at the normalcy of it all. We're looking at the simplicity of it all. And then lastly, we're going to see the beauty, the beauty of it all. And, and all of this, just to be clear, is just as clear as it can be, is, is what we would just call faith in life. And so look at how he starts it out. It's, it's, it's the first of four different groups that James is going to address. And, and we need to see all four of them. We really need to see all four of them to get a full picture of what he's doing. The first is there in verse 13. It's, it's the suffering. That's the first group. He says, is anyone among you suffering or is, or is anyone among you in trouble? You might have a translation that says that. Is anyone among you in trouble? That's the idea. And, he, and he's going back to where, to where he started back in verse 7, right? And, and back in verse 10, uh, where he pointed back to the prophets of the Old Testament, he pointed back there who, who spoke in the name of the Lord. And, and James has, has called us to be patient, but he's continuing to, to drive home this, this truth, like this biblical that, that biblical patience is never reduced to doing nothing, right? Like biblical patience is not just doing nothing. It's not passivity. It's an active waiting. And then he says this. It's still verse 13. He says, is anyone cheerful? That's the second group. It's the cheerful. I actually think, I actually think this is going to be one of the most... That this might be the most uncommon group that you find in our culture today. In our own way, I don't know if you've noticed this, especially in the last couple of years, we sort of glorified any form of suffering to the point that the people now look to identify uh, themselves by their suffering, by their hardship. And now we live in a, in a world where it's like trauma is what justifies our existence. We're taught that it's our suffering that qualifies us to speak. And, and so people are actually... here. Here's what I've seen in the church. I think people in the church are fearful to be cheerful. And we see it all around us. This was why, by the way, this is why sarcasm has rapidly become the dominant cultural voice of our day. We, we've become terribly pessimistic as a people. One of the saddest commentaries on our culture is the person who says to me that they're afraid to be happy because then it might go away. Have you ever had that experience? In moments of like raw just exposure to their souls. We, you know, I don't want to be too happy because then it's, it might get taken away, which means we actually function more, more Eastern than we want to believe. That's karma is what that is. That's not Christian faith. And so we're bad about this, even today in the church. Back last year, um, I was at a one-day seminar. It was part of an Acts 29 event. I don't know if you, Acts 29 is a church planning network here. Well, actually all over the world. And, and, and the guy leading the seminar in an attempt just to get people to talk. Now, these are church and ministry leaders from around the area just trying to get us to talk. He went around the room and he said, tell us your name and something you like about yourself. That was it. That's, that was the icebreaker for this. Tell us your name and something you like about yourself. And this room full of church leaders was like, nope, not doing that. Tell us your name and something you like about yourself. Hey, I'm Andrew. I got great hair and a beard, right? Like that's what, I mean, like you could have just said that. Um, I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. I'm not. I'm, I'm a little jealous. Um, I mean, I'm serious. There's a whole group. There's probably 25 church leaders in there, men, women, all kinds of different people. Tell us your name and something you like about yourself. And everybody just sat there on their hands. And this guy knew me. And so he called out on me. If you don't know me, you know that this is actually very out of character for me. Uh, some of you 
knew me when I was a child. Like me standing up in front of people and talking is, is it just does not make sense. All right. And so this guy calls me, Adam, and I was like, well, you already did the name. And he's like, well, tell us something you like about yourself. And I was like, oh no, because I honestly think I was trade. I was I was raised in the tradition where you're not allowed to talk about things you like about yourself because that might be prideful or bragging. And so I remember I was sitting there going, all right, it can't be too spiritual. Or they'll think, this isn't real. Um, I don't have great hair or beard, so that one's off the table. Um, and I was like, I, I like that I can get out and run around with my kids. And that was it. And that was like such a sellout, y'all. I mean, that was like, come on, for real? Um, but I do, I do like that. that was, but it was just so interesting to see that there, even in the church, we have this hesitancy to celebrate the things that God has given to us to go. Look, anyway, James is asking, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? It's made me believe that maybe the, maybe the church in James's day looked a lot like the church in our day. Next, next, this is verse 14. Look at 14. He asks, is anyone among you sick? That's the third group. It's the sick. It's the weak. It's the ill. It's those who don't feel well, I, I joke with Claire all the time. Anytime she doesn't feel good, she says, I don't feel well, which is, yes, grammatically correct. But nobody says that in the South. Well, I don't feel good. That's the way we say it. And she says, I don't feel well. And it sounds so proper. So now not only do I not have great hair or a great beard, I'm also improper, I guess. Anyway, this is feeling really good about myself this morning. No. This is, this is sort of more physical side of it. Not just suffering. This is those who are sick, those who are those who are ill. The suffering could be more of the mental or, or psychological lines. That, that's real suffering. But this is physical, right? This is the bad knees. This is the weak heart. This is the flu or cancer or chronic pain. It's those who are sick. We we know what this means. We don't have to hyper spiritualize this. He's talking to us in the life that we understand. And what we've got to remember here is that this picture James is painting. If you can see this, it's sort of like he's painting a family portrait. That's, that's what he's been doing through this whole thing. Remember, we're all in this together. That's been the whole point throughout the, throughout the letter. It's always being addressed to brothers. It's always being addressed to family. And so what he's demonstrating here is that all of these, right, are, are present. All of, these, all of these groups are present in the body of Christ. All of these are present in, the, in what we call the church. We have the suffering. We have the cheerful. We have the sick. We have all of them. Even in this place, at any given point in time, right? Each of these groups will be well represented. So this is what he's doing. This is the normalcy of it all right here. That this is where the Bible meets us on the ground. It's the ordinary faith at work in ordinary, in ordinary life. And the response to each we get is what we're calling the simplicity of it all. So we have these groups, and then and then he's given us a, a, a sort of sort of a, a a direction for response. This is the simplicity of it all. So let's just go back to it one more time. Look at 13 again. He says, If anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. So we can sort of see a theme in there, right? Of our response. And don't, please don't get bogged down in like the anointing with oil thing. That, that's, like, that's, that's not magic potion, all right? Just 
Just, just don't need, like, there's not like a spe- I don't have to go to a Christian bookstore, a Christian supply shop to find the oil that you would use for anointing. We would buy it from Publix. Check that. We're going to be cheap on it. We're going to Aldi. All right, that's what we're doing. We're buying our oil to anoint you from Aldi. Just don't even think, because it's not a special elixir. elixir. It doesn't have supernatural power. It's just olive oil. That's all that oil is. And in that day, it, listen, it was used to treat superficial wounds. That was one of the ways that they treated those superficial. Think of, think of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, right, who, who finds the man who'd been stripped and, and beaten, Jesus says, but a Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and, and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. But, but, that's, but that's not the same thing that James is, is saying. James says to not pour it on them, to, to heal their scratches and their bruises. He says to do what with it? Anoint them. To anoint with oil. This, this word is used nine times in the New Testament. You might have thought it was more than that. Nine times in the New Testament, and most of those times, and seven of those other times, it's a reference to Jesus. That Jesus is the anointed one. And so that's the idea. There's a sense of anointing here, of and, and anointing of identifying with, right? Or, or connecting with Jesus. I love how Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says that the more natural meaning of the anointing is that it serves as a sign of God's grace, consecrating the individual to the Lord and to the work of the Spirit. So let's not drift over into some sort of weird mysticism here. That's not what he's talking about. This is symbolic. And just so you know, like here, here I want to tell you this. You, maybe you didn't know this. Maybe you didn't know this was in James, but I will tell you this. Our elders would love nothing more than to pray for you in your times of need. We would love nothing more than to have you say, can I meet with the elders and have y'all pray over me in times of suffering and times of sickness. I will not for a minute pretend that we have any magical power. I will not for a minute pretend that we're any better off. But those men have been called. They've been anointed and set apart for that role. And so if you ever want to do that, you just let us know and I'll go to Aldi and get the oil and we'll make it happen. And if you don't know who our elders are, that's our fault. I just want to tell you, by the way, they're the people who come up here and pray during the service. We, one of, that's one of the rules for the elders. You can't be an invisible elder. There's no such thing as that in the church. If you ever want to know who the elders are, they're here, they're present. I'd have them stand up and raise their hand, but you might not come back. So we'll just stop, we'll just stop doing that. Now, if you ever want somebody to pray with you, you are, there are people here who have been tasked to pray with and for you. Here in the ordinary. It's the simplicity of it all. Here it is. Pray in every situation. That's what he's saying. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That word for suffering means uh, to experience physical or emotional pain. The only other places it's used in the New Testament is where Paul is telling Timothy that he is suffering and when he tells Timothy to endure suffering. That's, that's, that's the two other places where you see that word Use. He, say, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Here's what he's telling Timothy, this young pastor who he's talking to. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He's basically saying, as for you, be faithful. As for you, be faithful. As you walk in obedience to your calling, be faithful. As you find yourself here on the ground, be faithful. In your dorm, in your workplace, on the field, in your marriage, with your finances, uh, with your children, with your, with your church, be faithful. That's what he's telling them. Be faithful in every area of life. 
be faithful. And his book, by the way, if you're looking for a good Christmas present for somebody, I'm going to recommend a book right now. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. It's one of my favorite books I've read in the past five years. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Here's what he says. He's commenting on Psalm 130. And he says, to be human is to be in trouble. To be human is to be in trouble. And then he says this. He says, for suffering is pain plus. That's what suffering is. Suffering is pain plus. Physical or emotional pain plus the awareness that our own worth as people is threatened. That our own value as creatures made in the dignity of God is called into question. That our own destiny as eternal souls is jeopardized. It's pain plus that awareness. Life gives us no option to avoid suffering. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. There's not an easy button for life. The simple call of James and the witness of Scripture in times of trouble is very simple. Pray. But what if you aren't suffering, right? What if you are cheerful, even if you're scared to show it? What if you're cheerful? I love that one. The NIV translate this as, is anyone happy? Like, what if you're feeling great? What if you're feeling great? What, what, what does he say? It's just still right there in verse 13. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him what? Sing praise. Let him sing praise. So not only do we pray when we're hurting, we pray when we're happy. That's the call. Let him sing praise. And the word for praise there, it's the, it's the Greek word solo. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't normally, if you're new here, I don't normally quote a lot of like original languages, but it's, it's a, I'm telling you this for a reason. The word for praise there is the word solo, which sounds a lot like psalms. Older translations actually translate this as let him sing psalms. We just sang psalm. What psalm did we sing? Psalm 70, thank you, yes. We sang Psalm 70 earlier in the service. We sing a psalm here every single Sunday. That's the toughest song for us to prepare to sing every week. You know that they don't translate real well to English in a singable form. Like you don't just open up the Bible and start singing it. You could try, but it doesn't go very well. We did one time. Rough. No, it takes, it takes time and energy to sing psalms of praise. You see, praise is the overflow. Praise is the joyful recognition that the Lord our God is the fount of every blessing. It's remembering, here it is, it's, what, it's remembering what James said back in chapter 1, that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, so praise is an effect. Praise is an effect, but, it, but it's also, it, it, so it's a response, but it's also a cause. You see, it's a cause. Praise is a cause because, I'm working this out in my mind real quick. Praise is a cause because it causes us to remember the nature and the character of God. That He is the source of blessing, that He is our Father, that He is who He is. And this is what he does. And listen, what's proven, that's proven nowhere more clearly than at the cross, right? So we can do this. We can look at the cross right now because it's there at the cross where Jesus died, right? Where holy, where the wrath, the holy wrath of God was satisfied by the death of Jesus in my place. That's the fount from which every true blessing flows. 
That's the eternal blessing, the true and better blessing that every other good thing you ever experience in life is meant to point you back to. It's the grace of God expressed in love by the Savior who died for us. That's the good news of the gospel, right? It's it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so praise reminds us of who God is. The other thing that praise does is it turns our affections to the Lord because true praise reminds us of the order of things, that all the gifts come from the giver. We have a bad tendency to invert this uh, in our lives. We're naturally prone to drift toward idolatry, okay? We take temporal things and turn them into ultimate things. Now, now, now many people have... How many people have I seen express a sort of devastation over elections the last few years? And, and, and listen, here, here's why that's interesting. Those things literally have time limits. <laughs> when you talk about temporal things that are going to fade away, they have a clock that starts ticking the moment they're put into office. And yet we act as though these are the single most important thing in our lives. I've seen people devastated over these things. And we do this all sorts of stuff, right? It's the job. It's, it's the house. It's the, it's the membership at that place with those people. And, and, our, and here's what our affections be, begin to drift towards the gift and away from the one who gave the gift. I've said for a couple of years that one of the greatest gifts that parents can give to their kids is a really solid playlist for life. I mean that, man. Music is a powerful, powerful thing. It's commanded in Scripture. It's ordained by God for the purpose of His people. Some of us need a better playlist. We need to be constantly reminded of the goodness of God. Listen, when I was growing up, y'all, Christian music, whoo, it was, it was interesting. There was a guy named Carmen. If you're 40 and up, you're like, yep, I remember that cat. That was good Christian music then. Now it's like we got people making real music to listen to. Somehow you need to upgrade your playlist. It's worth it. It's worth it, man. I want my kids to be bleeding out praise songs all the time. Praise is infectious. I'll tell you this quick story. It's not in my notes. It could go haywire. I'm sorry. This morning, I was uh, my pathway here is I passed the Aldi, so right up here. Lidl is right there. It's a weird thing. It seems like they should not be right beside each other, but they are. Um, and so I'm sitting at that intersection, and I was, uh, I was listening to Christ is Mine Forevermore. And I was into it, all right? You would never guess this, but I, I can throw an incredible concert in my truck. Um, it's spectacular. I go all out, and it's early Sunday morning, and nobody's there. So I got nothing to lose. And as I am singing, come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Right? You want to sing it, don't you? We don't, though. Don't. I'm singing that at like the top of my lungs. And, uh, and these two guys are jogging and like clearly hear me singing. And the guy just looks, smiles, and jogs on. And I thought for a second, man, I'm an idiot. Right, I was immediate embarrassment. And then I thought, you know what? Isn't that what praise is meant to do? You find someone praising God. Now I'm not saying he had no idea what I was singing, but but it has an infectious reality to it. It's hard to stand beside people who are singing at the top of their lungs and praise to God and not be moved by it. 
Now, it's really easy to not be moved by somebody standing there mumbling under their breath. That's never inspired a thing. Now, praise is infectious. For all the stuff that we spread around, what if we were known? What if we were known as the people who cause an outbreak of joy? Like, not obnoxious. Not obnoxious, okay. We know what that looks like. I'm talking about just cheerful. What if we were known as the cheerful people? Praise has that effect. Practicing praise has that effect. And we, and we practice it on Sundays. And then look at what comes next. We're back to the sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let them, what? Pray. And so here's the simplicity of it all. We are a people of prayer. And as a church, we are committing to prayer. So I'm going to tell you about something real quick. Starting in 2023, on the 26th day of each month, so in 2023, on the 26th day of each month, we're going to begin praying as a church for 24 straight hours. You're going to hear more about this over the next few weeks, but we're joining with other churches in the Columbia area. This is PCA churches. This is Baptist churches. These are churches of Christ, churches of God, all the, and, and all the non-denominations. There's too many different types of churches to try and keep track of. All got some weird, quirky thing they believe, and they probably think the same thing about us. <laughs> Not me. Somebody's Siri is talking. And... I wanted to stop talking. <laughs> which I don't know how to do. Just ignore her. She'll go away. Wow. 24 straight hours a day. Non-denominational churches. All of us. We're all going to be calling out to the Lord. So you're going to have an opportunity to sign up for time slots. To commit to praying that we're drawing straws for who goes from 2 to 3 a.m. Y'all just, y'all just be patient with that one. But we're going to saturate this city with prayer because we believe it's meaningful. And so here it is. We are a people of prayer. Now look at verse 16. Because we pray, he says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed to one another and for one another. And then he compares, or he compares it to Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 18. You, you can go and read that story this afternoon. Go to 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18. You can read that story. The point is that God works in and through the prayers of his people. That's really the point. God works in and through the prayers of his people. Our father, here's what that means. It means that our Father hears His children. He's not looking at His phone. He's not distracted. Not watching reels, man. He's not doing that. He's, he's not on the, he, that's not what God's about, man. He is dialed into us when we're talking. He, you never get the top of His head. You always get His eyes. You always get His heart. That's good news for us. And then if you look down towards the bottom, look down at verse 19. I told you at the beginning there were four groups. So here's the fourth. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, that's the fourth group. It's the wandering. One translation says, if anyone among you strays from the truth, that's really the idea there. If anyone strays from the truth, it's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 18 in the, in the parable of the lost sheep, that if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, that's the idea, it's wandering away. That's, that's the way James is using this word. So there's the wandering. And what does he say? For each of the other categories, for the suffering, for the cheerful, for the sick, it's their responsibility, it's their responsibility to, to, to pray and to praise and to call for the elders to pray on them. But for the wandering, who has the responsibilities? You notice that. 
for the wandering, for those who are straying away, for those who are walking away from the faith. Look at 19 again. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Look, he's addressing the church family here. And he says, my brothers, he's been consistent in that. My brothers. And so who has the responsibility here? I I love how Sinclair Ferguson says this one. He says, it is not addressed to the wanderer. He's not listening. Who's James talking to? He's talking to us. And this is the beauty of it all. It's that all of this is for all of us. You see, we're all, all of these things, some of the time. And that, that, that allusion to Elijah reminds us is, is that our faith must always be anchored in God's promises. One writer has said that prayer begins in the Bible as a cry for God to do what He has promised. To deal with the reality of sin by delivering on His covenant promises. That's where we find our anchor. It's not in our feelings. Listen, your feelings are great liars. Your desires are great deceivers. It's not in our circumstances, because those change every single minute of every single day. It's not in our talents, which can come and can go. It's not in our ability. It's not even even in our faithfulness. My faithfulness isn't the anchor of my life. It better not be. Our anchor is and must and shall always remain the promises of God to us as His people. And so what we're doing when we call out to Him in praise, we're asking God to do what we know He will be faithful to do. Which is to bring us home. You see, the beauty of it all is if we're not able, that's okay. He is. Sometimes it's all going to be a mess. It is. And as we walk to it, by the way, holidays coming up. I got Thanksgiving this week. Odds are something's going to go wrong. Right? Something's going to be burnt. Undercooked. I mean, we could do it the whole gamut, right? Something's going to be a mess. And as we walk together in faith and in failure, the good news for us is that God is faithful. I love the picture presented here. It reminds us of our need for a Savior. And so in that, it reminds us of the good news of Jesus. It's that simple. But it also reminds us, here's the other thing that James is leaving us with here. It reminds us of our need for one another. And by God's grace, he's given us a people, not perfect people, far from it, man, but people being perfected in him. James started this letter. Go back to chapter one. He said, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Did you hear that? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the aim of the Father for you as His child. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is the priority of our Father in heaven for us, is that we may be lacking in nothing. And you here, together, walking together in life, one anothering one another in life, is proof of His promise. My real hope for you, my prayer this week, and I know as you're gathered around tables with family, and that is beautiful. It can be a wreck, but it's beautiful. As you're gathered around those tables, my prayer 
is that you are thankful for your family of faith. Let's never take that for granted. I am so glad. I am cheerful that I don't have to walk in this life alone. Let's be those people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you, in your grace, in your love, in your mercy, that you have come to us, needy, needy sinners, and you have given us your Son. Jesus, we praise you today. We are thankful for you today. Holy Spirit, would you come and remind us of who we are in Christ. And if we're not quite there yet, Lord, if you're, I, I pray that you would move in us to draw us to yourself. Don't let us stand outside the door, Lord. Come and kick it in if you need to. We want to see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.